welcome to the Supergirl Supercast. This is Trishy Matson. This is David Schaub. And this is Brianna Toiber. And today we're discussing Season 3, Episode 20, Dark Side of the Moon. David, I believe you have the recap for us from National City and Space. The plot that isn't a space date to meet the parent. Kara and Manel travel to find a magic space rock to save Sam. They find Supergirl's hometown of Argo and her mother. After a meeting where Tuvok is a jerk and Kara bends the truth, democracy wins. But we find out that one of the counselors is also the Dark Priestess hologram. The plot's back on Earth. Someone is trying to murder Alex. Alex continues lying to Ruby while tracking down an ex-cop red herring. The DEO lays a trap. Alex catches the bad guy, but worries about taking risks while Ruby needs her. Wynn and Ruby eventually bond over having kind of murderous parents. And Rain is getting stronger, but by the time Lena tries to kill her, it's too late. Excellent summary. Okay, <laughs> so... Um, yeah, so much to discuss. Um, Brianna, you sounded particularly enthusiastic uh, in our pre-discussion, so why don't you get started? I'm, I'm kind of still stuck on the... John's ship can turn into an asteroid? Uh, it camouflages. It has several settings. That's not... If it was just camouflaged, then it wouldn't have caused it to fall out of the tractor beam. And how did they get in the bubble again? And... How do they get in the bubble is an interesting question. There's things there. I can kind of cope with the asteroid. It's kind of cute. Maybe the tractor beam is tracking ships and it's looking for a ship. And when it can't find a ship, it doesn't actually hook onto it. I can cope with the shape-shifting thing. I find it a little bizarre that they just traveled five light years from Earth, which actually isn't that far. But hey, <laughs> my real question, I'm afraid, comes down to why did they put this five light years from Earth? And why didn't they just say they found a chunk of rock floating around Krypton's sun? That's the bit that confused me, is why have a chunk of Krypton flying somewhere moderately close to Earth, entirely unrelated, and there's no way it could have gotten there. Yeah, and another thing I noticed is, like, there there was a loving reunion between, like, Kara and her mom, but there wasn't as much, like, catching up as I expected, and then when she left, there wasn't any, like, all of, like, I'll come find you again, like, I'll come back and, like, maybe we could help the Kryptonians find a place to live that isn't a giant space rock that may or may not result in their death anyway. I thought it was implied somewhere that Supergirl would be coming back. But yeah, the the biggest logic problem I had with this whole episode is that they were saying, you know, a lot of the council were opposed to giving Supergirl any of the magic rock, Harun L, uh, because they say we need it all to power our city. And, you know, couldn't uh, Supergirl either come back with, I don't know, plutonium or something like that, something, some other alternative power source to help them? Come back and find, yeah, find another solution to help them keep the city running until they can find the more permanent place to live right either do that or maybe offer them sanctuary on earth i don't know if supergirl has authority to do that but i mean so many aliens yeah. are on earth already although i don't know how earth would feel about like a couple thousand more supermans 
<laughs> that, that would that be could, interesting, wouldn't that it? Could, that could be problematic. But I love the scene where Monel helps that kid and basically helps all of the other kids with that technological doohickey that Brainy gave him. Mm-hmm. That immediately cured the kid of the disease that he's probably had since he was born, because that's definitely how science works. <laughs> <laughs> but he's the only one that really actually tries to help the Kryptonians, not Kara, and that's weird. Yes. And she didn't give her mom a hug or anything before they left. Kryptonians aren't huggy. <laughs> She thought her mom was dead almost her entire life, and she's probably in her early 20s. She'd think there'd be another hug and a, I'll come back when this is over, or something. I agree with Trish. I think that was implied. I really liked aspects of the council meeting. There were lots of things there I did kind of like. The thing I thought was really missing was the whole thing of how much time they were sort of taking away from the city, because clearly the city does not have a long-term plan anyway. And are they saying they just took one month away from the last five years that they have to live here, or it's going to last for 100 years and they took away 15 minutes? There was a scale of what the actual trade-off was that was very unclear. Right. Apparently their plan is just to keep flying through space until the fuel is exhausted and everybody dies. This is a bad plan. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Kryptonians are supposed to be smart and scientifically advanced, but... Mm -hmm. I think they're supposed to be racist and stubborn. That was my impression. That too. Although it it was interesting when Kara's mom immediately recognized Monel, and she's just like, "You're cool here. You're welcome here." They're probably thinking, "Well, we destroyed our planet, so we should probably not judge them for whatever they did to theirs." Also, we accidentally destroyed their planet too. Yeah. <laughs> Though it did remind me that there are still tons and tons of Daxamites flying around with no leader because Monel abandoned them. Right. Yeah. Maybe they'll learn democracy on their own. Maybe. Either some hero's going to rise up in there, or at one point someone's just going to find a bunch of ships full of dead people. I'll be like, what happened here? (laughs) I really like that one point you made earlier, Brianna, about a bunch of Kryptonians showing up on Earth. And I actually briefly thought, you know, that could help solve rain, too. Like, they could have just taken 30 people, huh. gone back to right. Earth, and said, hey, wait a second, now we have an army of people as strong as Supergirl. I think we can mm-hmm. handle rain. How would they get the people there if they only have Jean's ship? We don't know how big it can be. Is it, is it bigger on the inside? Almost mm-hmm. certainly. Can they steer the rock, Argo? I, I have no idea if they can steer that, although at some point... Between, like, Supergirl and the DEO, they could probably find a way to, like, push the rock somewhere where they could easily go and get all the people off of the rock before they all die. I mean, there's ways that they could make that work. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious to see how they make it work, or if they just conveniently forget the giant space truck floating through space with a bunch of Kryptonians on it. Another part of this that didn't quite make sense to me early on is they get through the dome somehow. And they land. And what I truly do not understand is, why doesn't Supergirl recognize this place? It's been a while. Maybe she doesn't fully remember. I mean, she was little. She was a teenager. But that is an excellent question. Maybe maybe she was homeschooled with the crystals and she never really left home. 
I don't know. <laughs> I have difficulty believing she wouldn't recognize the plant life or the building's designs. It's not like they've been doing probably a lot of building in the last 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. It just seemed inconceivable to me that she would show up on her hometown and have no idea where it was until her mother showed up. Literally, the second I saw that there was a city on that rock, I was just like, oh, wow, we're going to get to meet more Kryptonians. And then she didn't recognize it, so I was like, is that now where this is going? Because that definitely seems like that's where this is going. It reminded me, when I looked at it, of uh, Kandor, which in the comics was where Supergirl was from, but that was a shrunken city it was it was made miniature and you know every time she left Kandor she would like expand in size again to interact with the human world here and obviously that's not what they're doing here um but I wondered if that was deliberate or if it was just um something irrelevant that I happened to make a connection with I just, I, I realized something, because we, we confirmed that the one councilwoman is the Dark Priestess, which I started suspecting there was something up with her the second that we saw her for, I think it was like the music changed slightly or something. I was like, there's something up with this lady. She fe- <laughs> feels familiar. But if she was the, how could she be communicating with Rain through the hologram, which is what it seems like she was doing? If there's no way for the Kryptonians to communicate outside of the bubble. I'm not sure if she's really communicating directly. It may have been that she left her essence in a crystal hologram the same way that, um, you know, the Fortress of Solitude, you, you see, you kind of interact with uh, Superman's parents, that kind of thing. Yeah, I'd interpret that that hologram is still just an AI representation of her personality, but yeah, they could do it either way. Yeah, it's just something about that last thing where she called to awaken the world killer. It felt like like she had done that before, like she had put that on to communicate with Rain before. It did have that feeling. Of course, it could also be because she now realizes that Rain is awake. So she's just like, hmm, well, they have her captured, so let's give her a hand. I don't know. It is possible this is where Supergirl's mother finds out that is alive, that this may have also been her finding out that Rain and the World Killers, or at least Rain is still alive, and that may have been a parallel action that happened. Yeah. That yeah, that does make sense. Certainly there are a lot of strange Kryptonian cities in strange places. I think in some of the comics, Argo City was actually on a sister planet, sort of like how Daxum mm. is presented in this world. But it took me a moment because there's this bizarre lines where Kara and says, this is Krypton? And Kara says, no, Argo. I don't quite understand. In some contexts, that might be true. In some contexts, Argo is just a city on Krypton that got blown off. So I think in this case, it was just a chunk of the planet that got blown into space. And they actually even show you veins of kryptonite in the rock. Right. Which, that being the case, I guess that's why Supergirl loses her powers immediately when she gets, steps onto the planet. Uh, but then why would that make Monel lose his powers too? I don't think there's a yellow sun. Different sun? I don't know if they have a sun. Oh, okay. It's possible that all their light's being generated by the force field and it's all fake. That was my guess. Okay. But again, now people lose their powers the moment they're not under yellow sun. They're trying to be consistent. <laughs> <laughs> Because consistency is key, unless you forget that it's a thing. (laughs) I'm just glad it wasn't like a 
super space date thing. I was like, don't make it weird. Don't make it weird. Okay, back to the council for a moment. I was interested to see that, except for Allura, everyone on the council seemed to be a person of color. Is that what y'all recollect? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I noticed that as well. Yeah, I I liked that because it should because diversity is nice. Absolutely. Um, but when they were walking through the crowds and the markets, were not most of the extras white? <laughs> it just that's, uh, that's a good point. Also, now I'm wondering because the reasons for differences in skin tone make sense on Earth when you think about it. Because melanin. But how does that work on another planet where their bodies and cells work differently than ours? It doesn't matter. Of course, Kryptonians may not really worry about race at all, except for Kryptonians better than everyone else. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, my, my writer brain's like, how would that work? <laughs> I think it's just in that regards nice that I don't think anyone is going to question that in this show. Whereas mm-hmm. we get to see Tuvok where it was questioned when Tuvok came on as the Vulcan on Voyager. So perhaps there is some progress there. So is there anything else we really need to discuss about the Argo? There's this overarching theme of whether Kara gets to be herself Oh yes, in all of this. And she's sort of going in and out of disguises. Them being in disguise on Argo seemed kind of silly, but... What did everyone think about this whole questions of disguises and being your true self and whether Supergirl is Supergirl or Kara Zor-El or Kara Danvers? Yeah, there's still a pretty heavy identity crisis going on, even though in this recent season, in this season especially recently, I've noticed we don't see very much at all of Kara being Kara. We've, Mm -hmm. We've gotten like a couple of scenes recently but as i've explained i don't know for sure if she still actually has a job she showed up once she didn't do any work but she showed up yeah it's (laughs) so like they're showing this whole identity crisis of who is she but they haven't showed her doing aside from a couple of things anything as kara and it's weird just a couple of acknowledgments of the past that I enjoyed um, that, you know, Kara did tell Alora, her mom, about uh, her aunt and and how that went with uh, Fort Roz and and everything and tells her that, you know, she thought that uh, her aunt was changing, but then she died before she got a chance to really become good. Um, And then mom talks about here on Argo, we do things differently um, and she's, she realizes that she was not good to have sent so many people to that prison without a second thought, she says. Yes, giving Allura some aspect of recognizing that she did something wrong and sort of taking that to heart is very nice to see. We're often always presented Kryptonians as not really ever accepting that they made a mistake. And it was nice to see that here. Yeah, it was... It was very nice character growth for a character we all thought was dead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I also liked that it, you know, brought back that Alora is not just a mom. She's a woman who has had power and made decisions and choices. And that all 
uh, absolutely develops her character into more than just, you know, mom and dispenser of magic space rocks. Yeah, I, I hope we get to see more of her and more of just the Kryptonian people and how they find a new home that's not a bubble attached to the side of a rock. The only other thing I wanted to mention about the scene was in the council meeting where they did the debate, I really, really liked a lot of that writing. A lot of the points were interesting. Some of them were well thought. Tim Russ's character was certainly a bit of a jerk, but it well held together relatively nicely, except perhaps that really Supergirl and Monella are there to save Sam, not to save Earth. They could have killed Rain, but they're not really here just for the purpose of just saving Earth. Huh. That's a good point. Mm. I don't know how the Kryptonians would have reacted to, we need this rock so we can save the world killer from being a world killer. That might have had a different reaction. They, they probably would have been like, no, we're, we're, we're not giving up our precious <laughs> time so you could do something really stupid. Because <laughs> <laughs> the Kryptonians might not probably would not know about the difference between Sam and Rain. Mm -hmm. Pretty unlikely. So they would have been like, absolutely not. Nope, you're funny. You can go home now. The other one thing I loved in that of no consequence whatsoever was in the background of the council chamber, there were two of the spinning ring illusions from Superman 2 on top of pedestals. And I thought that was pretty nice. <laughs> I definitely did not notice that. <laughs> This is why I usually watch it twice. <laughs> okay, so are we ready to talk more about what was happening back on Earth? Definitely. <laughs> yes. Okay, so um, there were a lot of little touches that I really loved, like um, Alex uh, telling Ruby to uh, read her new Ada Lovelace book in the conference room. <laughs> that was a nice touch. Um, But... Just a second, she takes her to DEO headquarters and does... Maybe does... it's labeled FBI? <laughs> I don't know. How? Yeah. Why do the lies continue? <laughs> you know, I'm almost tempted to say that when, in the last episode, they had Alex telling Ruby that she was an FBI, maybe that was just a mistake. And that Ruby does know about the DEO. Or maybe she just thinks, like, the DEO has a section of the FBI, and they're all, like, all these super secret agencies are collections of random letters that pe most people don't actually know what they mean, so. <laughs> There's a lot of lying to Ruby again from Alex in this episode. Uh, yes. But then again, I'm pretty sure since... Ruby knows that Sean's dad's a Martian. There's no way she doesn't know that he's a Martian. So Good point. I'm not sure if how she could ever swallow the Alex works for the FBI when she works with a known Martian. Maybe she's never maybe Ruby's never heard of the DEO since they're supposedly a secret agency. Um maybe she thinks it's just a branch of the FBI, like the the X Files or something. Also, doesn't Jean, like, point out, like, you brought her to, the, someone pointed out that, like, she, you brought her to the DEO? That's a lot of the problem I have with that aspect of Ruby is what they needed to do to give us that scene with Wynn and Ruby. And clearly, all of this was built for that. And it did seem a bit incredulous that that would all happen just for the sake of that one scene. There, yeah. there could have been a better way to do that. Maybe they could have set it up, like... 
she took Ruby there because there's a chance that Rain's gonna get out, and that's a really good place to protect her. Well, I think she actually, episode-wise, Watsonian-wise, brought her to the DEO because someone had just tried to kill Alex, and she was looking for a safe, immediate place to put her while they did the investigation. True, but yeah. Alex didn't suspect that Ruby was in any danger except for being near Alex, so hardly a necessary action. But maybe that was what was going through her mind, yes. That that whole storyline felt weird to me, because the whole time I was like, how much you want to bet this is Coville? How much you want to bet this is Coville? <laughs> like, yeah, we, we didn't actually see Coville any this episode after the teaser at the end of last episode. I know, and I was so disappointed. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's going to be Coville, it's going to be Coville. And then there was the guy from the Midvale thing, and... He's like, I feel horrible for what I did killing that kid, even though last time we saw him, he almost killed Alex. Yep. He, like, he, he was going to kill Alex, so his remorse was odd. It was a strange bit of character growth to throw in in the middle of this episode as a red herring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just, to get to the result that they got, which was, like, Alex talking about how she, how she wants to wreck reconcile the agent part of her and the part of her that wants to be a mom which I found, I found that scene very touching it shows um, just sort of like a similar thing to what Car is going through rec reconciling two different parts of her identity mm -hmm. but in a way that's a little easier for most you know normal people who aren't secretly aliens to understand can understand. I thought it was a really interesting point about Alex showing showing that about how her dreams conflict. But there are many police officers and uh, firefighters and and military people who are also moms. So, I mean, yes, your job could kill you, but uh, uh, so could you, being you on the highway, post office, <laughs> right. Right. You, Thank you, 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 you could work in like a regular cubicle mm -hmm. and your dog could still somehow kill you. <laughs> That's exactly the point I wanted to make. This seemed like they're strongly implying that, and what John said afterwards was implying that this is a choice Alex will make and he just supports that she'll make the right choice. But why do you have to choose? <laughs> why not both? <laughs> why not have a character that can both play kick your butt and raise a kid? And and sure, there's risk to that. This sort of is sort of an insult to all the people out in the world who are doing the best parenting they can do while taking jobs that are dangerous. And those people are out there. And I don't know. It, it rubbed me a little it, wrong. Right. It harkens back to the argument Lena used about, like, you can't stand kryptonite, but when you're human, there are a lot of things that can kill you, and we just deal with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I I found that interesting. I found that interesting. Also, the fact that her we finally get to learn her middle name. Oh yes, Kieran. It it's it's not an L. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it Lena has a middle name in comics canon. Um, suppose uh, that would be easy enough to find out. But Kier is a root of I believe. Um, a Greek word for aristocracy. I should have looked that up before we started talking. Oh, well. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, just an interesting sidelight that why, why does Rain, I guess Sam would have known 
Lena's middle name for paperwork she filed when she was being the uh, executive of Elcorp. I'm really happy Rain is developing a personality. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. exactly what I was going to say. This is, I think, the first scene where I really liked Rain in. <laughs> like, she's actually an interesting character. And she has a very, and like, she has a very legitimate motivation that's not just, I was born to do this, it's, I'm gonna get out of the cell and you're gonna regret keeping me in here for goodness knows how long. Back to Alex just for a second, though. Um, I was disturbed. Speaking of insults, I was disturbed that, uh, Alex said, if Sam is gone, I'm all Ruby has. And that is such a blatant falsehood i mean for one thing she has lena and and cara and and cara right who are all supposedly aunties of ruby i wouldn't want to discount ruby's babysitter because she's amazing yes (laughs) where did she go is my question (laughs) there was no way to have her in this storyline because they needed to have ruby at the deo right Yeah, something that concerned me is Alex didn't give a crap that someone was trying to kill her. She was more afraid that, like, Ruby might get caught in the crossfire, so she cares more for this child than for her own life. Never mind that even if Ruby wasn't there and someone was still trying to kill her, there are other people who could be caught in the crossfire. Right, well... There's just this strong sideline where they're making Alex a mother figure for Ruby, and it ends up making Alex seem kind of presumptuous. Yes. I mean, Alex is used to being a target herself, but now it suddenly matters to her because uh, she has the child supposedly depending on her, but um, that really overlooks all the other people that Ruby is networked to. And I thought it was interesting. We've complained a bit about Supergirl's frequent me, me, me perspective. I'm the person who matters. And seeing Alex be like this too makes me wonder if, uh, maybe, maybe something was wrong in, in the Danvers, uh, parenthood. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Alex, Alex seemed to be in more of an opposite sort of situation where she's just like, Focusing a lot on Ruby. Yeah, but saying I'm all she has is just wrong, and it's clearly demonstrably wrong, and Alex should know better. Yeah. But it sets up Alex's conflict, so they needed it. I Sorry, guess. I'm in Doyleist land there. <laughs> okay, so anyway, Alex uh, agrees to set herself up as bait, but then it turns out that no, actually, Jean is going to be the bait pretending to be Alex in the trap that they're setting for the sniper. And I so liked Alex, that. Yeah, we got to see Alex talking to herself. And that played nicely. <laughs> I really quite liked that Alex talking to herself briefly there. Yes. Yeah. Also how they kind of had us believing for a second there that that was Alex until they panned up and showed us Alex. <laughs> yeah, I liked that. Um, I did wonder when the chase for the sniper started, though, why... Jean just kind of stood there and watched why he didn't immediately fly fly, fly. after yeah, the sniper. He's like, Alex, wait for backup. And I literally asked, have in my notes, why is he so worried? Did he forget he can fly and face through solid objects? The other aspects where the shooter was going to shoot at John and then apparently smells him or smells Alex and then mm-hmm. changes to shooting at Alex. But then that implies that 
he wasn't actually that close to Alex, and then suddenly they're on a rooftop race. There's aspects there which confused me, but the real kicker was just why in the world isn't John just flying up and getting him? Yeah. Also, for being honest, I have no idea who that guy was. <laughs> I guess he was the brother of somebody at Fort Ross. Yeah, that's and what it was. I don't know why that made him want to kill Alex in particular. Yeah, and she- Well, I think Alex had captured the brother. Okay. Yeah, but I feel like we haven't seen that. That has couldn't have been recent. So why is he just now trying to kill her? It may have taken him a while to get to Earth. Hard to say. Uh. It does seem strange, though, that the Ron Collins character, which Alex tracks down first, was just such a more interesting character, and they didn't really have time to have any character for the bad guy for the episode. Right. So I wonder if they're planning to bring back Ron Collins again for something else later. Possible. That's actually, it's why I was kind of disappointed that it wasn't anything related to Coville, because that would have made so much more sense (laughs) than who the heck and what the heck is this guy and why is he here? As a monster of the week, it kind of was buried underneath the weight of the rest of the episode. Mm -hmm. So do we want to briefly discuss Ruby and Wynn? Sure. Um, I liked the idea of them having a bond because of their murderous parents, but I didn't love how it played out. It just felt a little forced. This episode was kind of a long list of, they they could have done things differently and gotten the same outcome, but it it did play to the thing Ruby's been struggling with, with the, what if I turn out like her? Which also makes me once again wonder, like, is she gonna get powers or anything? Like, just, she's the child of a world killer that has to result in something. But, like, how they've both struggled with, I don't want to turn out like that. That's come up multiple times for Ruby. That clearly part of her concern is that she might become a murderous monster, too. And maybe they do want this as another part of that beat. I don't know what's gonna happen with Ruby going forward. And I did like aspects again of Wynn and Ruby talking. But yeah, the machinations necessary for it to happen and Wynn being such a jerk to her earlier, it just seemed very forced. Yeah, and also when he's like, I need your help to help me monitor things. How did she not see that he was just trying to come up with something to make her feel useful, but he didn't actually need her help? Well, to be fair, he did say he'd been up for 36 hours, so maybe he does need another pair of eyes. (laughs) Ruby, at this point, is so used to people trying to manipulate her that she's just used to it. Oh, poor Ruby. (laughs) She's just like, whatever, it gives me something to do. (laughs) So I guess um, next week we will hope to see what's going on with Koval. We'll probably see something more of Argo before... The season ends. Um, well, we'll have to with the evil priestess being there. Uh, anything else anyone is hoping for? What we, uh, you know, the 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 whole Lena and Kara secret identity thing got sidelined this week, but it'll probably come up again before the season ends, and hopefully gets solved. I want Cat Grant to come back. Hopefully to both of those, Cat and the secret being yeah, revealed. Just- have her come back and give Kara good talking to. <laughs> also, let Kara know that she knows, because we know she knows, but Kara doesn't know. Yep. So, anyway, it was an 
interesting, a very interesting episode, even if some things didn't quite work for us. I think, uh, I think we've been going pretty strong, um, with a lot of good episodes, and I'm pretty sure that, uh, the rest of the season, just three more episodes, right? We'll... Home stretch. Right, right. Yeah, the episode titles have me very curious. I think the next one's like, not Kansas. <laughs> I did not notice any Pink Floyd references in this episode, um, but I'm not an aficionado, aficionado, so something might have slipped past me. And even then, I don't actually even know what they mean. <laughs> the title barely has any correlation to the episode whatsoever. Right. I mean, the city is on the dark side of the asteroid, so that's why they didn't see it until they got right up on it. But yeah, I don't know what they were doing with that. It was a very well-lit dark side of the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I guess that'll do it for this week. I'd like to thank my co-hosts, David. Thank you. And Brianna. Happy to be here. Yay. Um, it's always fun to discuss the show. I'd like to thank our listeners. If you would like to continue the conversation with us, uh, please follow at SG Supercast on Twitter or join the Facebook, the Incomparable Facebook group, also the members Slack channel. And we'd love to hear from some more of our listeners. And uh, I guess we'll be talking again pretty soon. Okay, bye-bye.